becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger a dream Skepticism. Skepticism. Optimism. I just feel worn out. Yeah. <laughs> You're not even in the cycles of the market. I'm not in the cycles of the market, no. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, you've been working hard. Trying. To the shores. To the shores. <laughs> Cheers. <clears throat> it's that time of year where everything is on, like, momentum slide into the next year. Oh, yeah. Like, past Thanksgiving... All this is just a blur. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. When I was working for the government, um, pretty much from Thanksgiving until after New Year's, nothing happens. It's just like people just don't work. Right. <clears throat> I mean, it's true in like the, like when I was in the consultancy world, mm-hmm. it's true there too. Yeah. Lots of big businesses. They just, yeah, we'll get back to it after the new year. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause like it, there's always one decision maker, not in the, uh, in the office or in the room or whatever yeah. it is. And so it's like, Oh, we gotta wait till next week. Well, that guy comes back and then some other person leaves and it's like, Oh, well we gotta wait for that person. And right. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I'm enjoying it though. Like yeah. I'm <clears throat> more and more maybe as I get older, like, yeah, I just want to chill, <laughs> chill for a few weeks. Well, I think as a business owner, it, it kind of sucks because like, yeah. I'm, I'm, our business is all about consistency. So during this time mm. of year, it's like our numbers go all wonky because people are all over the place. Right. And then come January 15th, that everybody's given up on their New Year's resolutions. <laughs> They're back in the coffee <laughs> back shop. back to normal. <laughs> I need a pastry and a espresso stat. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Do you find that people give up coffee for New Year's resolutions? Yeah, people give up coffee, uh, pastries, uh, you know, or they study, they substitute their morning routine to go work out, and, you know, or something right. like that. It's, and then that's about, I mean, I say January 15th, mid-January to like, you know, those who stayed with it for the whole month, you know, usually like they, they make some sort of month. I think it was like, was that that 30 30, 30 or 31 and 30 or something like that. Oh, whole 30, whole 30. <laughs> Obviously I didn't show how much, you know, <laughs> yeah, I did it once. Yeah. So like, I felt like whenever that was like really popular for about a year or two, like yeah. that was very consistent of, uh, hurt thing. your business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically can't eat anything on that uh, diet. No, uh, uh-uh. yeah. hate going out to eat with those people. Right. <laughs> so Thanksgiving is behind us. Yeah. Was your Thanksgiving meaningful? I love Thanksgiving. It's absolutely fantastic. What do you love about it? It's just all the great stuff with all the at all without all the hype. Mm. Like you just you just cook food and you eat and you drink and you you know eat dessert and everyone hangs out and the kids you know it's like everybody's just around a table. Yeah, so. I mean I agree on those measures. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving is the best holiday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's very dad of both of us to say, yeah. <laughs> like, why do you love it? Cause we don't have to do anything. <laughs> no kidding. Like yeah. gifts and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Just like, well, even the ceremony of it, I like too, though. It's like mm-hmm. the main event of Thanksgiving is sit around a table, presumably with the people that you love mm-hmm. and 
say what you're thankful for. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's an exercise in gratitude. Mm. That's a wonderful thing. You don't really do that, you know, on Christmas um, or Halloween <laughs> yeah. or Easter. What are the other holidays? <laughs> Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the Seinfeld holiday? I don't even know. Oh, did you watch Seinfeld? No, I like, I, I grabbed a few episodes here and there, but I never really got into it. His humor is not really my humor. You know, it's, it's, I get it. Like, I think Jerry Seinfeld's amazing and, uh, fantastic, but Festivus Festivus. That's the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really do enjoy it. And I did feel very thankful this year for, mm. well, just sort of like a general feeling of, of thankfulness. Mm. Cause like, also, like it's a... well, life is difficult in many, many ways. <clears throat> um, but I think I just took some time to reflect in, I just thought, you know, the fundamentals of my life, I feel really thankful for, I feel really thankful for my kids, for my dog, for my home, mm. for my parents, my family, my job, Michael, my friend. <laughs> Sorry. I was just, I, I thought you were getting to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely for you. And for well, the Allison podcast. and then Michael. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no. And actually I think, well, it was a little leading up to it. I think I sent you and Allison a, a little list I'd written of things I was thankful for. And you were on that. I don't think I got the list. Mm. <laughs> you definitely did. Um, <laughs> when it comes to group chats though, I think you only really see about half of what oh, comes I? through. Yeah. Right? Um, so. It was a good one. You should <clears throat> oh, go I'll back and look at it. Go revisit it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure exactly how to say this, but I, I think the, you know, you hear a lot about how important gratitude is that you should set intentions. Maybe you hear about it, hear about it in sort of like the, the woo woo crowd kind of spaces, the yoga spaces or the um, <coughs> spiritual spaces, but like mm -hmm. being intentional about gratitude. But there's, and I, and I don't, I say that because I think some people tend to dismiss such things, you know, as kind of, well, woo woo, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the human mind is a pattern recognition machine. And the more you focus on something, any particular pattern, the more you see that everywhere. It's like, you know, that if you've ever bought a car, mm. you know, once you decide the kind of car you want to get, all <laughs> totally. of a sudden you see it everywhere and you're like, God damn, everybody drives white Tahoes, you know? <laughs> um, and then once you've had the car for a while, it fades back into the background. It's mm -hmm. like nothing changed in the real world. It's just your attention yeah. changed. And so when things are hard and things can get quite difficult in life, you know, Raising kids is really hard. Mm -hmm. Jobs can be really hard. Relationships can be really hard. And we tend to focus on the things that are hard. Maybe most the most charitable interpretation of that is because there are problems which are to be solved. And mm. you don't really need to focus on the things that don't need to be solved. They're solved. They're taken care of. They don't need your attention. Yeah. And so you can start focusing only on the patterns that you think need attention. They need solving. They need work. And you forget to look at the patterns that are serving you. Mm. And so I think taking a look, like I said, at the fundamentals of my life, the bedrock, the place I come home to, to rest, you know, the people that are surrounding me. And I thought I'm, there's no problems there. Mm. 
you know, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I was just, I was actually telling Matt this earlier. I was like, well, I went to, uh, <laughs> I'm not a birthday person, <laughs> but like, I went to Torchy's for my birthday and just like sitting there with my kids and eating tacos and queso and having a margarita. I was just like, what else is there? You know, it's like, it's, but again, it's like, there's hey, so happy much. birthday, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> or as I have started calling it happy November 26th day. <laughs> you told people my birthday, <laughs> <laughs> the day, which shall only be known by its generic number <laughs> shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, I love, I feel like those moments come and kind of jump you every once in a while mm-hmm. where you're like, man, I really like this. Yeah. You know, I remember once this was years and years ago, I was driving, my kids were really young and I was driving them out to enchanted rock to go camping. And I was out there. I was driving out there. I was in the, on, in the car. And all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed with that feeling. Like Mm. I like this. I like this state. I like this park. I like my kids. I like being a dad. I like this beetle beat up old suburban that I'm driving. You know, and I felt really thankful. For, and I still feel thankful for that moment. Hmm. But isn't it crazy, though, too, is like the things you're thankful for a lot of times are the th- things that took the most work. Because, hmm. I mean, like being a parent, being a dad, um, you know, all the things that you provide for them and stuff like that, it's a lot of work. And it's mm-hmm. also, there's a th- uh, thanklessness to it. There's a um, There's days where you're like, this shit sucks, you know, and... But you have this moment of like, wow, it's like, it's taken a lot of, it takes a lot of me, but at the same time, I'm really thankful because there's something about when I invest in this, it's worth it. Like there's something that is, has value there. And I think that's, that's something that's hard to quantify. Cause I think I, I hear a lot of people talk about like families or kids as, you know, I don't want to have kids because of some certain reason or something mm-hmm. like that. And but again, you think about when you're like 90 or 80, you know, it's like you're gonna, you'll, you'll have, you'll be sitting around with your, these kids that you've put so much time and effort to, and hopefully their kids, you know, that you also are putting time and effort to. And there's something that's the value of that. It cannot be quantified, yeah. you know, because <clears throat> on one side you could say, yeah, that was a shit ton of work hmm. <laughs> and it was hard, but there's really, I don't think there's very many things that weren't hard that, that you don't that doesn't, it's like it almost has to be hard in order to, for you to have some sort of value to it. Yeah. Hmm. Like, I mean, it's running a business or starting a business. It's like, you would not recommend that to anybody, but it's like being like, wow, wow, we created this, you know? And then, or this podcast, it's like, you know, you could just, we put a lot of hours into this Mm -hmm. and, you know, go back and listen to them. Like, wow, we created this. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking, so for anybody new listening, I'm a a part-time single parent. I share custody of my three kids with my ex-wife and I have them half the time. And being a single parent, being the only adult in the house is is pretty difficult, especially now that I've got teenagers and they're all moody and angsty and (laughs) (laughs) they're smart enough to like pull some like <laughs> this morning, this morning, my teenage daughter, she's 13. Um, I told her she needed to get up 
uh, I'm trying to tell the simplest version of this story, but essentially <laughs> she didn't want to do what I told her to do. So she went and got in the shower and then she was in the shower for like 15 minutes. And I went and knocked on the door and I was like, Hey, you need to finish up. We've got to leave. And she's like, I'm, I'm shampooing my hair. And I was like, okay, we'll rinse the hair and get out. We got to go. Another 10 minutes went by, went, knocked on the door. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm shaving my legs. And I was like, I told you <laughs> this went on for 40 minutes. And I was like, I see what you're, you're running the clock out here in order to get what you want. It's uh-huh. <laughs> like you sly little thing. Um, that's funny. So yeah, it gets hard. And, and when you have your kids half the time, there is a tendency, like it's so hard and you're just holding on and you're like, I'm holding on until the day they go to their moms. Hmm. If I can just make it to Wednesday, yeah. then I'll have reprieve, you know, I'll have relief mm-hmm. and I can relax <laughs> or something. Yeah. And it's, it's an unnatural state to be. I often hmm. think it would be much healthier for everyone if you're in a sustained state of stress rather than an intermittent state of stress. Oh, interesting. Um, because there's this really awful thought that comes. Like if, if you're living your life in this pattern of like stress, relief, stress, relief, you tend to think, well, when does ultimate relief come? And so some part of your brain as the single parent goes, well, I guess when they graduate high school and hmm. leave the house and then I'll finally be done with stress. And I, I had that thought and I was like, I don't want to be looking forward to that because hmm. if they're no longer here, then I'm just alone. Yeah. And I would much rather be arguing with my teenage daughter about, <laughs> you know, getting out of the shower <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. than just waking up alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be, it's much better. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe that's like a, a, a recapitulation of the idea of, pattern recognition and and taking time to be grateful for things that aren't, well, that aren't presenting to you as obvious for what they are. Mm. Because so maybe like when you're in stress, you're ignoring the fact that, well, you're in stress, but you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're in stress, but you're, you're with your children. Yeah. Who are, you know, in some sense, the deepest relationship you might ever have because you've known them from the second they were conceived. Mm -hmm. You were there for that. (laughs) They are your children, you know? Um, So maybe be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it reminds me of like youth is wasted on the young. And there's there's even the idea for us in our sort of more middling ages is that not recognizing when you're like 80, you'll be like looking back on this time going, man, that was really an amazing time in my life where like when you're in it, you're just like, ah, I can't wait to get out of it. And, and it's, it, it seems like you can almost play that role through your entire life. Right. You're always looking forward to that relief. And I think it's, it's just like, we kind of talked about this, I think on Sunday, you and I and Charlie and Allison, like, it's like, there's that false hope, that false sort of reprieve that is, Actually, I think is negative. Like there's not something like there should be something about being able to be in that space of sort of stress that's that's actually healthy and good. Mm-hmm. And we actually need it to grow and prosper. And if you're always trying to run away from it or even relieve it at all costs or finding ways to relieve it, it's it seems like you're not really stepping into something that's actually beneficial. Mm. <clears throat> 
there's a lot of directions to go with that. Yeah. Because comfort is also a state which needs relief. Mm. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's nothing to define comfort by. Yeah. I mean, except for, uh, like, annihilation. Mm -hmm. Just, like, nothingness. And that's not a desirable state. Yeah. I was... So now that it's gotten cold outside and my cold showers are actually cold, <laughs> like painfully cold. <laughs> totally. I've been thinking about this, this problem of pain hmm. and like right now. So I, I took a cold shower, I don't know, maybe four hours ago mm-hmm. and I feel great hmm. right now. Yeah. But what happens every day is yeah. the closer I get to that next cold shower, uh-huh. the worse it sounds. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm in the shower and I was, I'll always start hot and bathe myself. And then yeah. I just crank straight cold and breathe deeply and, mm-hmm. you know, try to go a minute or two or something. And yeah. right. I always have reservations totally. about doing it, mm-hmm. even though I know I always feel great on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Yeah. And why is it that we have reservations about feeling good? And why is it that feeling good seems to be on the other side of some kind of, you have to pass through something difficult in order to feel good. It's kind of like you said, the things that are valuable, Hmm. that are meaningful, come at the expense of some difficulty. And that seems to be like a fundamental truth about life that we run into all the time. Hmm. Well, that seems like why it's so important to have some, some regiments in your life as far as like, whether it's working out cold showers or things that put stress on you. Um, Cause I think too, it's like whenever you actually get into stressful situations, something you and I've like kind of studied a little bit about is just that it actually helps you when you do it willingly, that when you actually get into stressful situations, you've kind of trained your body, you trained your body and your mind to be able to recognize that. Like, again, you know, you don't want to do the cold shower, mm-hmm. but you also know the benefits and the value of it. And so you do it. Yeah. You know, I, I did I, the same thing. I was like, I do my stretching in the morning and then I go jump in my pool and it's like, like this morning I, I didn't <laughs> want to go jump in the pool. And yeah. I was like, I know that I will, I will, I will enjoy the effects of it afterwards. And when I first get in, I, I'm still rejecting it. And then about two minutes in, I'm like, okay, Hmm. this is why I do this. You know, it's like, it's, it's that's interesting. So you don't want the thing itself. You want the effects of it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this, I've been, telling myself about the cold. Well, it's like working out. It's like, you know, it's like, it's not right. really the working out that you want. It's the effects of it that you want. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about that though, is that I think of all these things, the more you train yourself to do them, mm-hmm. the more you, at first you see it as great pain and suffering followed by elation, mm-hmm. you know, like really good feeling. Yeah. But the more you do it, the more those two things collapse Ooh, into one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So with working out and it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it stopped being something, oh, I don't want to work out. I want to feel good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go work out. Mm-hmm. But after a while I started craving the workout because mm-hmm. the workout became synonymous with feeling good. Yeah. And now and and my body is getting stronger through the process. And so then, you know, I go and I start doing those push ups and it's not painful anymore. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Yeah. 
and it's like, yes. And I do, I'm doing it slower and I'm like, yes, I, I'm like oh. relishing in it. Yeah. To make that somehow <laughs> dirty. Thank you. Sorry. But there is Back something about that, how they, they, the, the, the two polar ends seem to collapse into one singular thing. Um, but I, I wanted to read this quote from Seneca. He said, the body should be treated rigorously that, that it may not be disobedient to the oh, mind. I love that. I love that too. Mm-hmm. And when I do the cold shower, I've been sort of thinking about that quote mm-hmm. and I just tell my, have my mind tell my body, no, you're my bitch. You're doing what I want. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, it's interesting because it's the same thing in, in childbirth, like uh, going through with Allison and with five kids, I just got to see her sort of like act that out. And it's just absolutely beautiful. Like the thing that, you know, you learn in different uh, forms of, uh, of childbirth, whether Lamaze or there's like lots of different variations, but it's basically like, let your body do the work. And it was just amazing to see from our first kid to our fifth kid, Allison really like understanding that concept internally. Mm-hmm. And like she would, and that was something that guy was like, uh, again, as you're as kind of coaching her through that, it was just sort of like, okay, hey, babe, relax your arms, relax your shoulders, just let your body do the work. And again, I'm just saying these things and helping her, but she's like doing this thing that I'm watching just visibly her like sort of release and mm-hmm. allow her body to do the things that yeah. it does. And it's just really fascinating, like because it's a really mental thing because you see her like, you know, maybe like, cause like as you're coming into the contractions, it's like your first reaction is to resist hmm. and to tighten up. And so like it, it I think that's it, just seeing her through those different experiences. I saw her sooner and sooner allowing her to sort of relax into it and allow her body to do that. And I think there's something with that, with pain and struggle in general is like we resist. Yeah. We resist it and actually causes more pain and suffering rather than releasing into that pain and suffering. I think that most of our experience of pain or, or the magnitude of pain mm-hmm. is actually informed by fear. Mm. Yeah. Like if you think about any time you <clears throat> get cut or I don't know, let's say, you know, try, okay. Stick with the getting cut example. You cut yeah. yourself at first, you don't know how bad it is and you don't know how badly it hurts either. And it's like, there's something about your, con- it's like a Schrodinger's cat kind of mm. thing. It's like, it's something about your conscious observation of how bad you perceive the cut to be mm-hmm. that informs the pain. Um, you know, or like the dentist is another good example. Oh yeah. Like you're terrified that it's going to be the most painful thing you've experienced in a long time. And so a lot of the pain that you experience is simply anticipation of mm. a, of how bad the pain is going to get. Yeah. And I think that if you can control your mind, you can, well, you'll experience much less pain because you will be experiencing the actual pain and not the fear of how bad it might be. Mm. Like I think about, well, back to, to childbirth. I, I knew this woman who many years ago was, I can't remember the reason for it or if there was a reason other than she just didn't want to, but she like was absolutely against taking any medicine while she was pregnant. Mm. And she had to have a root canal while she was pregnant. And she went in and had her root canal with no 
anesthetic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And I just thought, how did you not just pass out? Yeah. And I think it is because she was able, she was so determined. It was so important to her to, it was worse for her in her mind to take the anesthetic than any pain could be. Hmm. And so her mind was able to control it. Uh, so. You know, and I think about my grandmother who, when she was somewhere around like 89 or 90 years old, she came to one of my shows. We were downtown on sixth street playing the show packed room of people. She was there at the time. She was still pretty sprightly and she was like dancing on the floor, dance floor. And, uh, she fell down and my dad was there and he went and kind of helped her up or whatever. And she was like, I'm fine. No big deal. Turns out she'd broke her femur in half, like all the way, <laughs> not a fracture, uh-huh. like a clean break. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, she didn't feel it. And so I think that there's like your fear determines your pain. Hmm. Yeah. I I think that makes sense. It it makes sense to me anyways. It's, it's something that I think it's also, there's something about like when you're, when you're kind of talking about this, I, I wasn't sure the exact words for this. So maybe you can help me out with this, but sort of like your outlook or perspective or philosophy of life also helps with how you encounter the world. And I think if you don't have a, um, an idea around pain and suffering that's healthy, then it's, it's something that can really affect you in a negative way. And I've, I've heard this stuff with PTSD type stuff where people who have a very good concept of good and evil, that when they go into situations that are completely horrific, that they have less, less effect of PTSD because they already have a concept that in themselves, you know, they can see themselves as the perpetrator as well as the mm-hmm. hero. And when you, whenever you can see yourself as the perpetrator and the hero, there's something that you're able to better cope with those horrific situations. Um, because if, if something like, if you've never known yourself to be the perpetrator, you know, the murderer, the killer, the, whatever it might be, then you, you, you can't understand how somebody else could do that. But I think there's something with being able to see yourself as the perpetrator also that it's in you and in this other person, but they acted on it, you know, Mm. it may be worse. War is a little bit more complicated than that because there's a lot of like, you're, you're fighting people that are just like you. And and again, I've never been in a war situation. So this is just more from other accounts, you know, but, um, but there, I think there is something to that, how you perceive the world. And if you don't understand that the same thing is in you as in other people and some of the most horrific things, then I think that also affects your, the way that you encounter it. You know, especially if you think like everything should be good all the time and flowers and butterflies, it's like, that's just not how the world is Hmm. and that you have to really be able to, um, celebrate when the butterflies and flowers come out, Hmm. you know, but also celebrate the time when everything dies and enjoy, like there's a time for everything. And the more that I think that you can incorporate that into your philosophy or, or your, your life, 
that it's 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 healthier to understand that everything has a season. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a season to to work really hard, and there's a season to maybe take vacation and and relax and a season to sow and a season mm-hmm. to reap. Yeah. <clears throat> And so I think, but I think it's the hard thing too, is the, the transition between seasons is always a really difficult thing. Cause like you're, you're in vacation mode and you have to come back to work. You're like, mm. okay, all right. It takes you, everyone uses about two days to come back to work, Yeah, <laughs> you know, just, just mentally and stuff like that. So mm. when it comes to the actual seasons, mm-hmm. I really enjoy the transitionary periods, mm. but I think you're right when it comes to seasons of, your life, the transitionary periods tend to be marked by fear and uncertainty and, mm-hmm. and discomfort. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's true because the seasons of your life are longer than the seasons of the mm-hmm. year. And yeah. so it takes longer to start understanding that pattern. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you, as you get older it, and you start understanding the pattern, you can start to recognize that when you start feeling those things, that's an indication of a transition and you can start not seeing it as the pain and difficulty and discomfort, but mm-hmm. as the movement into something new and you experience, you experience it as the new thing as it's coming rather than the discomfort that you have to move through. Mm. Just like the collapse of if you work out long enough, you start enjoying the workout mm. and not just the effects of it on the other side. Yeah. I hate running, so I don't run, but I think that's something like the runner's high. Mm. Yeah, I don't run anymore, but I used to, I used to run a lot, and I love, I mm. love that part. I've never experienced it, Yeah, just because I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I have plenty of other ways to yeah, totally. experience things. Well, especially like your meditation thing you are telling me about, the, like it was it two weeks ago or something, that you kind of hit that spot where you weren't sure if you hadn't breathed yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about that. I like that. Really cool. Well, I've been doing the um, Wim Hof method breathing, which is breathe in as deeply as you can and then out as deeply as you can. So try to max out your lungs in an inhale and then try to get all of that air out Mm -hmm. and do that 30 times in a row. And you'll feel tingly and probably lightheaded when you first start doing it and think this isn't healthy. This isn't good for me. (laughs) I'm going to die. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to die. And then you get to the 30th breath and you exhale all the way and then you hold. Mm. And I generally count to somewhere between 80 and 120. Mm. And I don't really count on seconds. I somehow associate it with my heartbeat more. It's roughly a second, sometimes a little slower. And, um, basically go until you can't hold anymore. You'll be able to hold a lot longer than you expect that you will, especially Mm. because your lungs are completely empty. It's like you're just running on the oxygen that has gotten forced into your blood rather than the oxygen in your lungs. And then breathe in all the way and hold that for 30 seconds. Mm. And if you do this a couple of times, there's all these health benefits that Wim Hof will, um, espouse. That's the word (laughs) espouse. Um, but you feel so alive. Mm. Like your, it's like your brain comes online in a new way. Yeah. Um, but there was one day I was doing it and I kind of went into this meditative state. So if you do it two or three times in a row, um, you actually can have two some, sets of 30 or three sets of 30. Uh, yeah. yeah. So a set, mm-hmm. a set of 30 deep breaths and then hold for 
about two minutes and mm-hmm. then inhale for 30 seconds or hold, inhale and hold again for 30 seconds. If you do that sequence two or three times in a row, you'll have, I have had what are like essentially a psychedelic experience, like mm. start seeing colors and you, your mind feels transported somewhere. And, um, it's not really fair for me to call it psychedelic cause I've never done any psychedelics. But anyways, I was doing this and I was on like round two or three and I was in a, a pretty meditative state, you know, something in between waking and sleeping, my mind was somewhere else. And all of a sudden I forgot whether or not I was on the exhale breath hold or the inhale breath hold. Mm. And I couldn't tell. And then I realized I was on the exhale breath hold. And then I was like, but how many seconds have I been holding? I don't, now I don't know. Mm-hmm. Am I only at 30? Do I need to go another 50 or 70? And then I just thought, well, I don't have the answers for this. So <laughs> I'm just going to ride this until I have to breathe again. And then I'll just breathe. <laughs> He still hasn't breathed yet. So. I still haven't breathed yet. I'm still exhaling. But it was an interesting experience because it's like there was a disconnect between somehow between mind and body. Hmm. And the answer to the question, like there was no urgency to the answer to the question hmm. of where I was in the sequence or whether or not I needed to breathe. I was just sort of suspended. Mm-hmm. And like that's the closest thing to a meditative sort of I don't know what's the word enlightenment kind of yeah. blissful state that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Which kind of gets, comes back to this other spot too from, from the beginning is, is, you know, there's a sort of like wanting to be in that state at all times. Like there's a wanting to be in sort of a, a meditative blissful state. And I, I don't see that as being very healthy you know, having moments or times where you set yourself aside to kind of like meditate or to exercise or whatever it might be. But, but there's, a, it doesn't seem like it's a very healthy thing to want to be in that space for a period, of, a long period of time, if that makes sense. So I have a question about that. Okay. It seems to be a theme in this conversation so far. And the, maybe the observation that I want to make is that it's not a healthy space to be in all the time. Mm -hmm. No space Mm. is healthy to be in all the time because we experience things relatively. But as soon as I propose that there's something in me that fights back about it and doesn't want to accept that as true. Why is that? I don't know. I think because I, I guess I believe or want to believe that there is a final state of things. Interesting. Or, or a, correct state of things, a a way things should be. Mm -hmm. And if I say that everything is experienced relatively, and like I said earlier, if comfort is no good, if comfort is all you have, how is that any different than nothingness? Mm -hmm. Then that seems to argue against the point that there is some final state of things in a way that they should be. Oh, shoot. I don't know which, which direction to go on this. So you kind of like, oh, I, I mean, mentioned the, the one thing and then we can kind of go back to a different thing. But <clears throat> I think that's kind of where you have in religion and whether it's like Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, it's sort of like there is this final resting place, you know, whether it's in Nirvana or in heaven. Um, and that that kind of almost describes that idea that we're talking about where there is this rest or respite, you know, 
uh, even that there's something in that I kind of, <clears throat> I kind of push, push against a little bit, but, uh, but to kind of come back to, uh, what we actually experience today, something I've noticed, especially with business is that there's things that would cause me stress, you know, uh, 16 years ago when we started Medici that are no problem now. And it's like, I, I actually am in rest when I handle those problems. Right. Uh, but then at the same time, it's, there's, there's new issues and problems that come up that provide that stressor. And then at some point they kind of fade into sort of like my sort of way that I interact or, 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 or deal with things. That's, that's really, it's too, that's too vague, but because, and then, but there's always like new challenges. So like if you're working out, so like when I do my, I do my stretches in the morning and then if I miss them for five or six days, which I don't do very often just because it helps with my back and stuff. But when I do, I find that I have to kind of go back through and build back up to mm-hmm. that. You know, at one point I was doing a hundred to 200 push ups a day and now I'm back to like 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. I can't do 150. I can't right. do 200 push ups. You know, it's like, uh, uh, so it's just interesting to see like as you build up and what you're able to handle and then what is actually your stressing point versus like whenever you don't do that, right. your stressor kind of goes, actually starts to deteriorate and go back down. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's honestly probably a healthy aspect of being able to put yourself in more and more stressful situations, but always, you know, you don't want to, I mean, sometimes you are put in situations where you're way beyond what you're capable of and that's good. And there's sometimes you're way beyond what you're capable of and it's not good. And it's not healthy and you need to get out of there as fast as possible. Right. <laughs> you know, whether it be in a relationship that's not going well and it's like, it's way beyond your control, you know, or, you know, if you're been married for 21 years and you're having a stressful time, it's like, it's like, no, this is actually good. It ha- helps your relationship move into the next part. Well, so let's take <clears throat> that idea of the stress point in working mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. You know, can you do three push-ups? Yeah. Is that a problem? No. Are you mm-hmm. going to feel anything? No. Mm-hmm. Can you do a hundred? Well, no. I'm going to probably get to thirty, and that's going to be the line that I cross, where it's yeah. like I don't know how much further I can go. Or I could do 124 hours. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something like that. But the point is, this is my proposal that mm-hmm. we experience things relatively. Mm. You experience things relative to that line. And that, that line is an abstract concept. It's more like wherever your body is at the moment. And that could be because you haven't been working out recently or you're injured or you're feeling really great and you've been working out a ton and it's like maybe the line is a 150 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the, the life occurs around that line, mm-hmm. relative to that line. And I think that's true in exercise. I also think it's true in relationship and I think it's true in business and mm-hmm. you know, all the things you were just listing. So what is the proposal of heaven hmm. or enlightenment or yeah. this <clears throat> final state of things as proposed by various religions? Is it that there is not that line? Hmm. Like, what do you do with a concept like that? Interesting. Like, the Christian idea of heaven is described as, you know, everything is great. Mm-hmm. Lion lays down with the lamb. There's no stress. There's no war. There's only peace and only comfort and only provision. 
And ever since I was a kid, I always thought, well, that sounds boring as hell. <laughs> that sounds boring as hell. You know, it's like, well, what are yeah. we, we going to do? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Everything's done. Everything's yeah. perfect. Uh-huh. It's like, so we're just frozen in time. Like, what's the difference between that and the, the statues in Narnia, mm. you know, in the garden of people that the wicked witch is frozen? Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Yeah. So I don't know what to do with that concept. So that's why I say that my proposal that everything is experienced relatively like flies in the face of our deepest hope, which is that Mm. there is some finality. So I think, again, I have no idea what heaven is or Nirvana or whatever that kind of stuff is, but I do kind of like the flow state makes the most sense to me. And if, if you've never read the, the flow state, it's this, this sort of idea of where, your challenge and your skill are in this perfect window. And like, for example, like if you're not being challenged and you have a lot of skill, then you get bored. But if you have a lot of challenge and not a lot of skill, that leads to kind of anxiety and, and frustration and that kind of stuff. But there's this perfect window where your skill and your challenge are both growing at the same time within a certain window that, you know, maybe kind of like variate there's variations of it. But I think for me, that's heaven. This, the idea of like, I'm being challenged and I'm building skill at a level that is consistent in that you're, you're, you're feel challenged, but you're also, you're feeling capable. So that makes me think about the, the yin yang. Exactly. That's it. That's yeah. Perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the whole idea of the yin yang is that there is chaos and order and they are blending together. But then you have the dot of black and the white and the dot Mm. of white and the black, which is to say that there's always chaos within the order, not just on the boundaries of it. Mm. And there's always order within the chaos, not just on the boundaries of it. Beautiful. It's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it only applies to our life. Mm -hmm. Like if you take a concept like heaven, well, how can there be, let's say demons in heaven. Yeah. It, that wouldn't be heaven. Mm. So what is heaven? Complete order. I mean, we know, I think this is something probably you and I have learned over the last number of years that complete order is just as pathological as complete chaos. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that you're, what you're saying is correct is that the ideal state of things is some sort of balance between the two, mm-hmm. but that doesn't seem to jive with any sort of proposition about the afterlife that has ever been presented. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think it's, uh, again, on maybe on the Christian's perspective and I can't speak, speak on the more traditional Jewish perspective of this, but I think there is this sort of idea that there is that order and chaos. Like even if you could talk about the, the city of God in revelations it's sort of like there is a wall and that people come in from outside the city into the main city so there's some sort of like interaction between this sort of like order and chaos you know it's like and so i mean again i have no idea but if 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 there was a if there is a heaven and and you know I, i do see that sort of idea of you know even with nirvana it's like well, a hard, a harder thing with Nirvana or the sort of Buddhist becoming part of the one, because then you just get lost in the chaos and there's no individuality or order. Mm. And so that's the part, that's part of that, that I kind of get a little bit lost into, but I feel like the Jude, Judeo Christian 
kind of has this sort of like order and chaos balance that happens in the afterlife, which kind of gives us a perspective of today and like what we work towards mm-hmm. in our life. That's a mirror of what we like. The kingdom of heaven is, is here now. And it's like, I think that's that part of like, it's that balance between order and chaos here. It's like, you know, you war against the flesh. Well, what is the flesh? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, you're an animal. You know, what does your animal instincts tell you to do? It's to, to kill, destroy, to, uh, to, to feed, you know, it's like, it's not really, it's not, you're not comprehending the sort of balance of all the things that are around you. So you have this animal aspect of it that you have to be able to, um, uh, sort of master, I guess is the thing. But also at the same time is like, there's too much, if there's too much order that also leads to, uh, a tyranny of sorts. Like if you're an aesthetic, like, you know, the, again, you know, the Pharisees thought they were like all put together and stuff like that. And Jesus is like, you don't, you don't get it, do you? You know? <clears throat> um, so again, I feel like he kind of, Jesus kind of had that sort of like, he was always fighting against the, the order and fighting against the chaos. Mm. Like depending on where he was at, he was always showing the other side of it or being a mirror of the other side. Well, I think you just showed me something that answers, mm. uh, gives me a new answer to the question of what is heaven. Interesting. Okay. So you're talking about balance and I thought, so I was a competitive gymnast when I was younger until I discovered music and then that's all I cared about. And I stopped doing gym. But when I thought about the word balance, I thought about how, when I would go to the gym three times a week, three hours a night, there was no, like there, there was never a concept in my mind that I would run out of things to work on Hmm. or or run out of ways to improve. Yeah. And that has always remained true, Hmm. whether it's with, music or business, kids, podcast, everything in my life. I've never thought I'm close to perfecting this. Yeah. I'm almost done with this. Yeah. I've got like two more things to master. (laughs) And then it's like, yeah, Uh, no, no one thinks that, you know, it isn't like Michael Jordan got to a point where he's like, I'm as good as I can be. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just going to maintain now. It's like, no, everyone pushes. There is no limit to how good you can be. And maybe that's the proposition of heaven. Maybe it's like the balance of the order and chaos, the balance of the yin and the yang, Hmm. the borderline between the two becomes more and more perfected and there isn't a limit to it. It's like an asymptote. How many but, times can you divide something by two? Okay, gotcha. It's like, what's an asymptote? <laughs> it's a line that's constantly getting closer to another gotcha. line. I love asymptotes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So you divide a hundred, it's like <clears throat> divide a hundred by two, mm-hmm. 50, divide 50 by two, 25, divide 25 by two, 12.5. Mm-hmm. Divide. How many times can you do that? It's an, it's an irrational number. Mm. There isn't a number. It's infinite. You can do that an infinite number of times. Well, I love that because it's also a matter of zoom. Like mm-hmm. if you're zoomed out, that line gets so close to the bottom. But if, as you zoom in, it beca- it gets further and further right. away from the line. Well, maybe that's the point. It's like mm-hmm. you experience things relatively. Well, relative to what? Mm-hmm. Relative to 
you know, we're not very good at experiencing our current life in this century as compared to the way life was a hundred years ago. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty stunning when you go read the stats on how life was a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. It's so much better. It's staggering. Yeah. And yet we experience it. I mean, look around. What do you see? You see unrest, you see disgust, you see hate, you see injustice. Mm -hmm. Everything seems terrible. I mean, the entire political left seems hellbent on convincing everybody that it's awful. It's just as bad as it's ever been. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. not at all. But maybe heaven, whatever heaven is, or nirvana, or enlightenment, well, it's like that moment of during meditation that I was experiencing that I was telling you about earlier, mm-hmm. it's like a moment of bliss. Mm. Well, bliss relative to some other state. And you said, well, it wouldn't be healthy to stay there all the time. But what if that was the new starting point And then there was a new bliss that was on top of that. And what if what I call bliss just becomes exponentially greater and greater and greater? Mm. Well, that, wouldn't exactly be unhealthy. That would be just the story of mankind so far, which Hmm, is why I think we say, or the Bible says, the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Hmm. It is already at work. And to define some end state is to describe things as so much better than they are now that your mind can't really imagine it. Hmm. Like if you were to go back in time a hundred years, or let's say to the year 1900 and describe in the terms that mattered to people who lived then the way our lives are now, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they could comprehend it. Dude, if you just like, if you divided people up in the percentages back in the 1900s and just said, Hey, you living in the U S right now, I mean, just in the U S like most of you will have three meals a day and a house over your head and you will own it or rent it. It doesn't matter. But in air conditioning and all these things where, you know, 95% of people were living on a dollar 75 a day. Yeah. I mean, it was something again, I don't think that's exact, but it was something absurd like that. It's like, you, you just can't comprehend that. Well, I don't even think that, you know, there's a point at which you go back in time and it's not that long ago where mm-hmm. things like air conditioning, yeah, you wouldn't say, Oh, you'll have air conditioning. And they'd be like, Oh, that'd be great. Oh, great. <laughs> they'd be like, why would you want that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or what is that? First of all, <laughs> what also too is like, I also kind of like play the other side of this too, is like how much of that's like so made us so soft, like as far as like air conditioning and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you know, all these, all these things that we think are great, but I've also, also uh, distanced us from maybe some of the pain and suffering mm. that we actually need. And we actually almost have to search it out in order to, I mean, again, you think about it, like all these people who go to yoga and gyms to work out, mm. it's like, well, no, we used to do that in our jobs. Mm. <laughs> you have to like, I mean, most people like, I mean, there's a few that, that didn't now have we to pay to go do it. Now we pay to go yeah. like lift things and throw tires. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, 
I mean, but good for us. I mean, it used to be that tires just needed to be moved, and yeah. so you moved them. But now you got to go pay somebody to move a tire. <laughs> totally, because your life got shitty once all the tires were where they needed to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, like there's something with that. Where that's the kind of the problems of modernity is that we're going to have to learn to. No, we actually need that sort of strain. That we need that suffering. And we might even mm. go pay now to be able to bring that into our lives. So maybe here's another definition of heaven. Mm-hmm. Things are good and you can see it. Because mm. I think mostly, maybe this whole episode's making sense. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's like the original where we started with Thanksgiving and gratitude. Mm. It's like you have to intentionally make yourself pay attention to what you're grateful for. Mm. Things are good, but you're not seeing it. So you got to go look. You have to tell yourself, no, we're going to look. We're going to pay attention. Yeah. You know, maybe heaven is at some point things are good and we see it. Hmm. We understand it. You know, we actually say, oh, the fact that we have air conditioning, like as we were talking about air conditioning, I was thinking about the whole climate change narrative. And, you know, it's such a funny thing because we've learned to control climate, you know, on small scales. Mm -hmm. It's like, what temperature is your house? You know what temperature your house is because you made it that way. You controlled the climate in your house. That's insane. Mm -hmm. It's unimaginable to people a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah. But you don't see that that's good. You just take it for granted. Hmm. And how could you see it any other way? So maybe at some point, things get good enough and we become enlightened enough that we actually see how good they are. And then just as things continue to get better, we continue to become more grateful in that state of gratitude and bliss that comes from gratitude. But what do you say to like, like, at some point, like where things are so good that we just have to break them in order to experience something that is negative? Or does that even fit into what you're kind of, what you're kind of talking about? I think it does. Yeah. Cause it's like, we almost like, we almost need suffering in a sense and we'll break things in order to. Well, I think it takes, um, it takes memory. Mm. Ah, sorry. I mean, I think that's the part like with why religion is, is so useful in the practice of it is that, it builds those things into your, your, your regular experience, you know, where the Seder dinner, uh, that the Jews eat, like they have something that's bitter something that's sweet. They have all these different things, but it's to remind you of life and all the different aspects that life has and, and the Exodus and, and the struggle, but also the sweetness. And it's like, there's things that we need to build into our cultures to remind us of that expansive experience. Mm. And I think in our modern culture, we don't, we don't have as many things that build into like, why should I have a family? You don't know why you should have a family until you're like 80, (laughs) you know, it's something that that's built into our culture because, you know, who's going to take care of you when you're 80? Well, maybe I'll make enough money and I'll just pay somebody to do that for me. Where that was sort of a part of the culture is sort of no you have kids and you, and you raise them. And then at some point you move back in with your kids and then you help them raise their kids or live in the same. It's a circle of life. It's a circle of life. And, and our culture and our, especially in, 
you know, Western culture is, is, is getting further and further away from that. And Allison has a great story about this. Maybe we'll have to have her on to tell the story about this woman from Africa that she was talking with. And she was just telling Allison how strong American women are because, you know, in Africa where she grew up, like when you gave birth, the whole village comes around you and supports you for months on end as you're raising, as this baby is growing, where in the U S it's, it's very rare that you have that kind of support Mm. and women in the U S specifically like, you know, breastfeeding and all the things that are required physically in the, in the birthing process Mm. is there, you're alone in it a lot of the time. I'll have to have Allison tell you the story because it's, it's really, it's a really moving story. She told me the story, so I know it, but we ought to have her on and talk about that. That's really Mm. good because it, it actually makes me think like there's a, a, a strange inversion in that because on at face value, I would say, well, isn't it better that the community supports the woman than the woman have to do it on her own? Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with our culture? And I think yeah. a lot of people in America <clears throat> would see it that way. Say, mm-hmm. well, what's wrong with our, our culture's messed up mm-hmm. that these women are having to do it alone. But the woman that was talking to Allison was actually saying, no, you're strong. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So what is that? Well, like, it was also sad too, because like, she didn't like the the woman didn't realize what she had. <clears throat> okay, what 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 do you say this for for? We'll save it. I, I just want to make her on too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make one point about yeah. that, which is that. Well, I'll ask a question: Is it good to be strong? Hmm. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I mean, I think yes, but you have to take in, into consideration that if you are strong you are strong despite something. That's where strength, that's how strength is defined. I'm strong, you know, physically because I can raise the weight. I am strong despite the weight. If you're strong in relationship, you're strong despite the problems. If you're strong as a mother in America, you're strong despite doing it yourself. It's, I think that it's easy to make in a postmodern world, where everything is defined and seen through the lens of power and power is bad and wrong. It's easy to say, well, no one should have to be strong, Hmm. but that's like the annihilation of comfort. You don't want that for anyone. You want people to be strong because you want them to be real. Hmm. You want them to be capable and competent, but that means that there's something at odds with you. And this is the, I think another theme of this conversation, which is that you need to be in some amount of stress for things to be meaningful, for things to be valuable. And strength is another good way to look at that. You should have strength, but there's a reason to have strength. And that reason to have strength can be seen as something of an injustice. Hmm. Just to kind of put the yin to yang of that, um, there's something is too is like the to be able to display that if if you always have people around you taking care of you you're not you might not be challenged in order to acknowledge or to to sort of grow into that strength but at the same time there's that other part too that knowing and and 
and understanding your need for other people and the help that they give you and that you're actually not strong enough. <clears throat> so I think there's, there's this sort of like, I mean, you see this displayed in Eastern, Western culture, religions and ideas in general. And, you know, the, or even in philosophy, the problem of the one and the many. So it's like, again, there's this tension between the power of the individual and the need for community. And like in the mm-hmm. West, we, we value the power of the individual. Well, at least historically. Yeah, historically, yeah. And then in the East, generally speaking, it's the power of the collective, of the many. And that, you know, people who try to stand out in those cultures kind of get hammered down like a, like mm-hmm. a nail. You mm-hmm. know, it's like where like if you if you try to like in the West is like the, be more communi- communal, it's you're seen as more weak. And I think, again, these are generalizations. But again, that there's that yin and yang aspect of it is that mm. it's good for you to be able to exercise and know your power, but it's also good to understand you're also weak and needing community. You need to be able to hold both at the same time. Both at the same time. Yeah, I would actually push back and say in the West, it, that is, is mm. changing if it hasn't already mm-hmm. changed, which is that it I isn't agree. good to be an individual. Mm-hmm. You should be a member of a group. Um, well, which is definitely a, pushing in like two different, like there's, there's a binary that you're getting pushed into rather than. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the back to the point of the asymptote. Hmm. Maybe we are constantly perfecting the balance between hmm. those two things. Yeah. I agree. Be, between. Hmm, between the individual and the community between strength and the need for strength mm-hmm. comfort and stress maybe those things are becoming it's like it's like the effects of working out and the actual workout are becoming synonymous maybe those things are all becoming synonymous mm. at an exponential rate but it's harder to see it because an asymptote seems to level out unless you zoom in yeah which definitely like in our current situation, I think in the West specifically is that things are happening at such a speed that we're not being able to zoom in to see that that expanse quick enough. Like we're, we're kind of lat we're kind of lagging behind yeah. the growth that we're experiencing, whether through technology or um, yeah, mostly through technology and how our, how our culture is, uh, how our culture is uh, growing and stuff like that. Hmm. Well, I don't know how far we are into either. this one, but I, I think that's a good place to <laughs> I end it. I, I just want to say, I would like to end it by saying, well, cheers. Hmm. Um, may we see things more fully hmm. for what they are. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a way to look at all of this. in that we are blinded to the things, the way things really are. Hmm. We're blinded to the progress that we've made. We're blinded to our position relative to the position of history. We're blinded to our own gratitude. Hmm. And so we have to take the time to see things and and may we get better at that so that we may more fully experience our lives.
I like that. That was like a benediction right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks for coming to the shores yeah. with us. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Love you all. Fun. Ciao. Bye.